Uh, today we're getting started with a series called Save the Date, where we're talking about marriage, we're talking about relationships, and I want to just begin um, by expressing, uh, I guess I'm, I'm probably going to offend some of you today. And uh, we don't all agree all the time on all things. And when we're searching for the truth, what we do as, as Bible-believing Christians is we go to the Word of God. We believe the Word of God is authoritative. And when we start talking about marriage and covenant, and we're in a society that is very different from the Scripture in that regard, and so chances are you may believe differently than I do or believe differently than what I talk about today, and so you might be offended. I want you to understand that our attitude is not to come at these things with a highly critical, judgmental, condemning attitude, although we do think some things in regard to marriage are wrong. Uh, we, we want to be compassionate for the situation that every person is in. Everyone's on a journey. Everyone's at a different place. And we're all susceptible to the different things that we're going to talk about today. So I'm just warning you. It's not my intention to be offensive, but sometimes the Word of God's offensive to people that believe otherwise. And, and so we're going to talk through some of that. That won't be the majority of what I talk about today. Uh, but we're going to start talking about marriages. And I'm going to kick off the series just looking at what the Bible has to say about marriage. What is it? Where did it come from? Why? I don't know how much I'm going to be able to get to today. Uh, but we're going to hear from Tyler and Jeff over the next few weeks. They're going to be talking about different subjects as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Marriage is a thing in our society. From the time we're early on, we recognize it. Uh, we, we think about who we might marry someday. It's an important part of our culture. Most people are drawn to the idea, why do we in our American society, why does it seem like every other society in the world has something like this marriage where a man and a woman come together and commit to do life together and raise a family? The initial answer to that question, why, is God. God is the one who invented marriage. And I think actually the fact that it has found itself in just about every culture in the world in history tells us that it comes from a long time ago. And it comes from the beginning when God made mankind. And so we're going to talk about that. God is the leading authority on what marriage is. He designed it. He designed this thing and he gave it to mankind as a part of the way that we do life. And so we want to know, what is that? We want to, get his, we want to catch his heart for it. We want to catch his intention and his design so that we can be in alignment with God. Because we know that when we're in alignment with God in his ways, there's blessing. And we're out of alignment with God in his ways, which is really the definition of sin. When we're out of alignment, we're not under the blessing of God. We want to, in every part of our life, we want to bring that in alignment and obedience to God. So, marriage. Let's begin in Proverbs. <clears throat> Better turn on my clicker. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Men? Okay, whenever I read these and they refer to, to men and, and women, you got to understand this goes the other way because it would be right for us to say, she who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Right, ladies? Okay, we got to have a little fun today for the serious matter. How many of you know that marriage is a blessing? How many of you know that marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing? Yes. And sometimes it's a little more challenging than a blessing, isn't it? It can be difficult. And I, I, I'm going to talk about this. I may, I'll just say it now. I, I want to acknowledge, I know many of you are single. Many of you are divorced. Many of you are widowed. 
Uh, many of you wonder if you'll ever get married again or get married at all. This information is very relevant, okay? I'm not, I, I want to be sensitive to that. And I, wanna, I do realize that I will probably prompt a little bit of pain in some of your hearts as we talk about this issue. And I just want you to know I, I recognize that. But we know that marriage is a blessing from God. And when we, it's just, it's a blessing. But we also know this. It's better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. No, no, no amens, no amens. Because no. it goes the other way, doesn't it, ladies? Better off to pass a kidney stone than share a house with a quarrelsome husband, huh? Marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing. And when it's not, it's hard. Marriage can be hard. It can be painful. And sometimes they fall apart and are destroyed. And it's one of the, maybe behind death, it's one of the most significant tragedies we face in life. Divorce is hard and very difficult and sad. So we want to talk about how do, we, how do we do this marriage thing? How do we strengthen our marriage? How do I get ready to be married? How do I become the kind of person that anyone would want to marry? Janie and I have been married for 22 years this summer. Is that right? And, and she deserves a lot more than a hand <laughs> for that. And, you know, we've had many seasons of our marriage, and uh, we don't, talk a lot publicly about it or anything because, you know, those challenging things, you don't like to air out your dirty laundry, do you? And I'm not going to do that today. But I can say that those, particularly the first year or so that Janie and I were married, we, we were looking at, the, at each other by the end of the first year going, what are we doing? Uh, I remember uh, visiting with Jason, he and Rebecca weren't quite married yet, and I was just like, man... This struggle, it was hard. I, I, was a, I was a knucklehead, man. I mean, that's about as nice a word as I can think of right now for, for what I was like. I was so idealistic. We were going to live this way. We were going to do these things. We were going to accomplish these things. And we're going to go, and you're coming with me, lady. And she's like, wait a minute. I, I want to have a peaceful house, and I want to have some kids, and I want to enjoy my life. You know, and we just, bam, two worlds collide. And marriage is hard. And so we have to understand what it is. We were a mixed family from day one. I was already a dad. I was a single dad. I'd had a, I had had my first child when I was 17. I got custody of her when I was 20. And I was not in a good place. And God got a hold of me. And then about six, eight months later, I met my wife. And she married me and she took on stepmom role right out of the chute. And she did it like a saint. She did great with it, but it was hard. Marriage can be hard. You all have stories like that. You all have experiences of different highs and lows and times in your life. I've walked with many friends. I've watched marriages that you'd never think could fall apart, watch them completely explode and fall apart, break your heart. Then you've watched other people, you're like, I'm not sure they're going to make it. But they start, they start adopting good principles, and they start adopting good communication, and they start to succeed. And a few years down the road, you look at it, and they're thriving. It's so hard. It's a lot of work. Marriage is a challenge in life. So what can we learn about marriage from the scripture? What does God say about it? Because that becomes the foundation, the principles that help us in these relationships. How you see marriage will approach and shape your relationships. 
How you see it, how you define it, what you think about it will shape how it goes for you. Do you have a right thinking about it? Do you have a good perspective about it? Do you have a biblical perspective about it in order to shape your marriage? Or looking forward to it or to bring improvement to it today? So what is it? What is marriage? Most of the, pre, most of the mentoring that Janie and I do in marriage, we use a program along with uh, Jeff and Hillary who lead our marriage ministry. We use a program called Prepare and Enrich, and it's for all phases of marriage, even pre-marriage. And most of what Janie and I have done with it is in pre-marriage. And one of the things that I run into the most that makes my blood pressure go up, I mean, you want to get JR looking like he might get angry, tell me that marriage is just a piece of paper. I've heard that so many times from young men, so many times. And I have to stop and think about it, and I look at society and I go, well, it doesn't, no wonder they think that. No wonder they don't value it or understand the depth of it, because we live in an American culture that sees it that way, and teaches it that way, and reinforces that thinking about it. Marriage is a contract, according to society. I sign a document, and you sign the document, and legally, we are a married couple. But I want to tell you that marriage existed before paper. Think about that. Marriage existed before contracts. In fact, marriage existed before sin. You ever think about that? This is an an important part of God's design for the world. Marriage is not just a piece of paper. It might be in the eyes of society, but it's not in the eyes of God. Think about a contract. If you're going to have a home built or you're entering into a business partnership and you sign a contract, why do you do that? How many of you would love to live in the day where you could just shake somebody's hand in agreement and that's all you needed to do? I love that. I still try and operate that way. But this bit me at times, right? Just on a handshake, just on your word. But unfortunately, people are, we don't agree on what truth is. We don't agree on what we thought we agreed upon and all those things. And so we have to protect ourselves by signing a contract. I will do this if you will do that. And we agree. And if we disagree, you're liable for damage for that. That's what a contract is. It's built on mistrust. It's built on the fact that you can't really completely trust people. So you have to have this legal documentation, and we approach marriage the same way. If I sign this document, I'll hold up my end of the deal if you hold up your end of the deal, but if you don't, I'm out, and I'm not obligated. You're responsible for those damages. It's built on distrust or mistrust in many ways. You sign it. If that's true, then why bother? And that's actually where a lot of people are. Marriage is just a piece of paper before the government. Why would I bother? I love this person. That's it. Why would I bother signing a contract? We're just committed by whatever means they come up with. And so we we have to be able to sympathize a little bit with the mindset of culture. Not, Not that we condone things as acceptable, but that we recognize with sympathy why people think the way they do and why they are where they are. But that never means that we have to say what you're doing is okay. Because it may not be, according to God. And he is the foundation of our truth. So we do this. We've seen this happen since, I think, since from 1990 to about 2020. The rate of cohabitation has doubled in our society. 
Cohabitation meaning two people who are not married move together to act like they're married. And it's understandable if you don't factor God into the equation. It's logical. If we're going to do the rest of our lives together, how about we move in together for a while and see if it's going to work out? Do you know 80% of teenagers today expect to cohabitate before they're married? Mom and dad. Think about this. They expect to. That is the expectation of society. And if you're just approaching this as though uh, marriage and sexuality are not worth anything, it makes sense. Let's get together. Let's see if we get along. We'll talk about it. Again, I want you to understand, I'm not here to condemn you, but I am going to challenge you. If you're living with someone that you're not married to, you may not like what I say, but I'm telling you what the Word of God teaches, and we're going to look at those passages. And here's the, here's the point. We want to come under God's blessing. We want to come into, in alignment with God so that he guides our steps. When we rebel against his ways, he doesn't step in to lead us. He doesn't help us and bless us when we're rebelling against him. And yet we expect that he should. And that's wrong. So it makes sense in a way that if we get together, but, and, oh, okay, let's get on the same phone plan. That'll save us a little money and maybe we'll get a dog. And pretty soon you have a kid because that's what happens, right? Pretty soon you're fully entangled and not fully committed. You're fully entangled and not fully committed. We're actually teaching people to get divorced. The way we're doing things is teaching people to divorce because we get fully entangled, but we don't meet the things of the contract. You're like, yeah, we're not quite a good fit for each other, even though we have these children and this situational, and I'm just going to go find the next, I'm going to go explore and get somebody else. And there was no commitment there, so I can just walk away because there was no covenant. It wasn't even a contract. It was just kind of a mutual agreement, and we slip into it. We just kind of slide in easy, but pretty soon we're trapped in that situation. And so then we start to teach people that as soon as you get tired of something, you can walk away from it. As soon as it gets hard, it's okay to break and leave. But that's not God's design for marriage. I'm not saying it's easy. It's very hard, but it isn't God's design. We're teaching, I think, preparing. We, we get divorced over and over and over and over before we're actually married. And then when we're actually married, we follow the same pattern. When we go into it with the wrong mindset. I want to look at Genesis chapter 2. This is where we first see this. The man, Adam, he's been created. Eve has not been created yet. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. Adam was given stewardship of the earth. God gives him the authority and has him begin naming the animals. But there isn't a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of the ribs and then closed up its place with flesh. I know it is often said that, you know, you know what God said after he made Adam, right? I can do better than that. <laughs> well, the Bible doesn't say that, but there wasn't a suitable helper for Adam. So he puts him to sleep and he takes out of his flesh. This is important for what we talk about later. Remember that. And the, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, 
This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here it is, key scripture. Okay, how did God start this out? He made the man. He looked at the situation. There's not a suitable helper for him, so he made another type, a woman. And then he said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now there's a number of ways that we could think about this. But that word hold fast is almost literally like sticking like glue, melding together. The two becoming one flesh is more than just the sexual components of that. It's, a, it's about the bonding together of these. And Jesus speaks about it later, and we'll look at this verse later. But this is where we see it. This is God's design, even before sin had entered the world, for the functionality and the family unit of mankind. And he would build the rest of the world and society on this building block, a man and a woman coming together and blending completely, stuck together. Like Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. God joined them. There's, this is a supernatural, spiritual thing, way beyond a paper contract. Way beyond a paper contract. So this would be a beginning of our understanding and definition of what marriage is. God designed marriage. Culture doesn't dictate what marriage is. The government doesn't decide what marriage is. Listen, think about this. No matter, I know it's, it's absolutely out of control out there about this, this marriage situation. I understand that. No matter what definition anyone comes up with isn't really going to matter in terms of what God thinks. Culture doesn't change God's mind. The American government doesn't change God's mind. It doesn't, even if we did away with marriage completely in our society. I mean, really, what's the only thing that, the, that you benefit from being married as far as the government's concerned? Taxes? Whoop-de-doo. So if we got rid of marriage in the American government completely, we still as Christians would walk this out in this exact same way. It doesn't matter where or when or who. This is God's design. We've got to keep our bearings when the world around us is absolutely chaotic. And we shouldn't be surprised. But there still is always this foundational truth that we come back to about marriage and God. See, when you stand, this is a little bit harsh, but when you stand before God someday, and he's looking at it, he's like, listen, I was no, I'm no saint. Okay, I've failed in this department miserably in terms of sexuality. And, and if I stand before God someday, he's going to be looking through, and he's wow, JR, wow. You were really out of line, weren't you? Yeah. My friends are going to come up and go, yeah, but God, we're Americans. And we decided it would be okay to live this way. And we're God's country, so we must have some pull with you, right? Sorry, my cynicism got a little intense there. And, and if God has eyebrows, he will raise it. Excuse me? You think your culture determines right and wrong? You think your culture is going to justify my blessings or my curse? No. Won't matter. We got to get to the truth. And this is, guys, this is hard. We're in a hard time for this truth. It's very difficult. 
And I don't want to be condemning, but we've got to wrestle with these realities. And we want to get in alignment with God. See, marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. And they are different. And I want to talk about that with you this morning. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement in blood. It's an agreement to the death. And, you know, so when, I mean, think about this. When, well, when God took the rib from Adam and she was blood of his blood, there, there's, a, there's a blood thing there. Then there's, you know, after they sin, God sacrifices the animals to cover their sin. Remember, he, he slaughters the animals and he uses the skins of the animal to give them clothing. He covers them. The shedding of blood is an important part of God's process leading up to Christ, the ultimate shed blood. But in, in covenant, you're, you're agreeing basically. What they would do is they'd take an animal of some sort and they would cut it in half. Like if we were going to make an agreement, a covenant, there were, there were covenants other than marriage. God made covenants with men. We are in a new covenant under the blood of Jesus. He died for us. Death is, is a part of this. They'd take an animal and they'd cut it in half and they'd lay the halves out. And they'd, and they'd walk between them, making this covenant. Basically saying, I will be like this animal if I break this agreement. So it's way more than a contract. There's more than legal ramifications here. It's an agreement in blood. It makes it so much more solemn. Marriage is a solemn thing. Covenant is a solemn thing. It's binding. So even when we see that rib taken from Adam and creating his wife, there's a bonding there greater, way greater than a, mar- than a marriage license. Flesh of my flesh. The two shall become one flesh. Something much more powerful here. Marriage is holy to God. Now if we were Jews, you'd dang near shake in your boots when I said that. Holy before God, set apart in God's design. A very, very, very big deal to God. And I would say, argue possibly one of the biggest because this is how he designed us in the very, very beginning. Covenant is solemn, it's powerful. There's life at stake. Jesus, he's answering questions uh, about um, Marriage, and he says, as he answered, Have you not read? He's challenging them. He says, Have you not read that he who created them, he's referring back to this Genesis story we just read, made them male and female, two different yet similar, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is referring back to Genesis as the authority on his answer about marriage. What, there's just, a, just as a nugget here, what did Jesus rely on as authoritative to answer the question? Genesis. Can you and I rely on these ancient writings as authoritative? Yes, even Jesus did. Thousands of years later. Haven't you read, this is what happened, so they're no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, God joined together. 
When God, how many of you know when God does something, he does it? God joined together. Let man not separate. There's a much more, see, this is where marriage becomes, you would almost say, it's beyond flesh. It's spiritual. There's a spiritual connection here. There's something powerful in this covenant that man is not intended to separate. Now, they do talk about divorce, and I want to be sensitive about this, that those of you that have been divorced know the pain of that. People that go through divorce, I've walked with many, it's like they're almost grieving death. It's so hard, it's so sad, because there's such a bond there, because God has joined two people together. And that's sad. And so we want to we look upon that with compassion. See, I, I know that some people have, I think they've taken, I think it's Matthew 5 or 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about divorce, I think people have taken some of those scriptures and used them to abuse people that are divorced. I don't think that's right. I think God has a grace and a mercy. And there are other passages in the scripture that you know, teach us about these things. So we, I, just, I just want to recognize and acknowledge that uh, to you guys. It's tough. And it's not God's heart for us, but it does happen because we're a broken world. And people make mistakes. So we have to learn how to navigate that. But I, I'm bringing this before you to demonstrate the seriousness of what marriage is. Marriage is holy. You guys, his standards are high. This is hard. JR, you're painting a really high standard. Yes, because God's standards are high. But his blessing is worth it. His blessings are worth the effort. His blessings are worth the sacrifice. The challenge is we have to learn to say no to our flesh and to ungodliness and embrace God's ways because we come under his blessing in those situations. So I want to move on to maybe some more sensitive things, and I'm going to try and keep this as G-rated as I can. Okay, but these covenants that we see, they had signs, signs of covenant. Some of them are not very pleasant. The sign of the covenant with the Israelites was circumcision. There was the sign of the covenant with Noah was the rainbow. The sign of the covenant between men was the slaughtering of the animal. There are signs. Do you know what the sign of marriage is? Sexuality. When two people are joined together in a fleshly way and participate in that activity, they are sealing the covenant. It's in blood, if you will. It's a flesh thing. They've come together, not only in a spiritual way, but also in a physical way, and it's a sign of the covenant between a man and a woman. And so when we're participating in that kind of activity outside of a covenant agreement, we're doing something much more powerful and damaging than we may realize. And I think if you and I can look back over the last 60 years or so of our history, we can see the repercussions of deciding that sex really isn't that valuable. Because it deteriorates. Rather than a precious thing, it's a daily commodity. It has no value. And once it has that no value, it doesn't mean anything. And we might think that in our American way, but God doesn't think that. What you're doing is you're giving the sign of covenant with the other person. There's a spiritual, powerful spiritual component there. Again, I'm speaking from a perspective of not, not holier than thou at all, but living with plenty of regret myself. Because there is, there's a bond that happens. 
One of the things that grieves my soul to the core these days is the hookup culture. I'm going to go over time today. You've been warned again. But I have to. That we can just swipe on our phone and have a partner and participate in the sign of the covenant without any covenant. That's wrong. And many of us have been in that boat. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, chapter 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint. So when I was a young guy and I, was, I got my life on track and I met Janny and I'm like, got to behave myself. And I'm like, give me the list. <laughs> How far can I go without it being wrong? Come on, be honest. You've been there. How far can I push the limit? Where's the line? But God doesn't just like draw a real physical line. He says this. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper in the saints. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Immorality is not adultery. It's not um, homosexuality per se. This is sexuality outside of the covenant of marriage, but not with a married person. Sometimes the Bible translates it fornication. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let, the, let marriage be held in honor among all. Do we really honor marriage in the way that God had maybe designed it or intended it? Or is it just kind of a partnership or contract? I don't know. And, and among all, not, not just the married, unmarried, widowed, divorced, whatever, marriage is an honorable thing. Not everybody gets married. God doesn't, didn't necessarily call everybody to get married or remarried or et cetera, et cetera. We, I don't know. People are different, but we're all called to honor it. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Do I need to explain what the marriage bed means? Keep it G-rated. Keep it undefiled. What about the other beds? There are no other beds. There's not supposed to be any other beds. Keep the marriage bed undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Two different things. Adultery and sexual immorality are two different things. Because when you bond yourself with the flesh, with another person, you're participating in the sign of a very holy covenant without actually honoring the covenant. God is very strong about this all throughout the scripture. So in all of those various sexual sins, whether it's before marriage or during marriage, adultery and sexual immorality were punishable by death and rape in the Jews and incest. We're all punishable by death. Sexuality is a serious issue to God because it's a sign of a holy covenant to him. Something powerful something good. And so whether we're married and we're misbehaving or we're unmarried and we're misbehaving, even, even you know, not even a hint. So even, even joking, he actually goes on to talk about joking like right in the next verse. Coarse talk and joking shouldn't even be around. It's like, yeah, we need to be careful. Is it okay to laugh? Yeah, but be careful. Because this is something very important to God. Now, the, concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So this is what the Corinthians had written, or uh, is this Corinthians? Yeah, Corinthians had written uh, to Paul, 
And he's writing them back saying, okay, you said this. Uh, I'm missing some passages. Would you? I've got them right here. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The solution to sexual temptation is the marriage. He doesn't give a solution. Just run down the just run, run down the down the road to the brothel and take care of it. If you have sexual temptation and that's an issue, then you should be married. He doesn't give other solutions. This is one of if you stop and meditate on this passage of the scripture, you recognize how narrow the window for proper godly sexuality is, it's within marriage. There is no other solution. Pornography is not a solution. Prostitution is not a solution. Having a friend with benefits is not a solution. Those are egregious in the eyes of God. And it devalues marriage. So when I stop and I take inventory in our world around us, it's, it grieves me. And, and at times I even grieve myself. <laughs> How much do I value my marriage? How holy is it? And so even, even with, when we're without, there is no godly outlet for sexual temptation but marriage. Jared, that's hard. That's a high standard. Yeah, I understand. I'd like to make it easier, but it's not. This is God's way. It's who he is. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient why do we have to have these strict rules? Because we're lawless and disobedient. When we're walking with God, the law is way out there somewhere. He's leading us. He's guiding us. His spirit's with us. But when, we, when we're really in rebellion, we need those things in our lives to guide us. The law is not laid down for the just, but the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, slave traders or enslavers, liars, perjurers or liars, this would be another translation for that, and whatever else, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Whatever else. Jared, that's hard. Yeah, it is. By the way, enslavers, I hear this all the time, the Bible condones slavery. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. If you actually sold another person, there was bond service, yes. But even in the Old Testament law, if you owned and sold another human being, you were punishable by death. Okay, just a little helpful for those of you out there who are constantly running into these arguments with people. These things are wrong to God. And, and why, why does he have this? He wants to bring us into alignment and relationship with him. Not condemn us. I haven't come to condemn. I've come that they have life abundantly. You want life abundantly? Bring yourself under the blessing of God. That's the point. But I say to you that, here's the, here's the last one. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, you just look at these things and you go, wow, you really raised the bar. What's he going after? He's going after the heart. How is our heart? Are we just making sure we stay within the boundaries, but inside we're completely corrupted? No, Jesus goes after the heart. 
But if looking at a woman in lust is similar to adultery, what about all the other forms of sexual sin that are actually acting out sexual sin? And why are they sin? Because God designed marriage to be a covenant and to be holy. I think that if, if, if we want to thrive in our relationships and build healthy marriages or help our marriages get healthy, we have to stop and think, how do I, what do I think about marriage? Does it line up with God's idea of marriage? Or have I just made up my own kind of conglomeration of taking from this culture and that culture and this author and that author and what my friends around me think and that's what marriage is? Sorry. It's just not true. We won't, we won't stand before our culture someday. We'll stand before God, a holy God. He loves you. He has compassion and grace and mercy for you. We're never too far away. We're never too gone. God brings transformation and restoration and 99% of us have failed in this department. But that still don't make it right. And so we bring these things before God and say, God, forgive us. Would you stand, please? We, as a people, are, have become very countercultural with what we believe. In fact, because of what I said today, I no longer can run for president of the United States. Scratch that off my bucket list. It was about ready to get scratched off anyway, but I'm pretty sure I just sealed the deal today. Are we okay not being popular? I'd rather be blessed than popular. I'd rather have peace than be accepted in my culture. We are aliens here, and we have to remind ourselves of what God teaches. So I'm going to pray for us and and uh, even as I wrap up prayer, if, you, uh, if you're wrestling with something in this way and you want to receive some prayer, our prayer team will be up over here on my left ready to pray for you. Again, I'm not trying to condemn. I'm trying to point towards a way to come into alignment with God and embrace him. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, as a people who want to honor marriage and honor sexuality and honor family, something you designed that you love that you made. And God, we, I pray for every person here, wherever they're at in their journey, whatever, if they're struggling with anything, Lord, I pray that your grace would be there nudging them and drawing them closer to you. Not in condemnation, but in desire for new life for those that are struggling. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with addiction, particularly sexually. Lord, and, and participating in a perversion of what you designed to be good. Lord, I pray that rather than a, a guilt cycle, Lord, that you'd pull them out and bring some peace and relief and transformation for them. Lord, I pray for those that are lonely at heart and struggling, whether, whether divorced or single and not married yet or widowed. God, as we talk about the blessings of marriage, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be there bringing comfort and instruction and direction to each heart. God, help us be a family in something like this. Yes. Be there to support one another in our journey. Not ashamed and independent or frustrated and angry and alone, but that we could all be there for one another to help walk through these things and embrace the best from you. God, help us to, to continue to know you and understand you in these ways. I pray a blessing over each relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. We'll see you here next week where we hear some more about marriage and relationships. <laughs>